sounds interesting. Yes, sounds quite interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> well, welcome back to the Is For Podcast with Danger and Sarge, where each week we take a different look. We take a look at a different letter from the alphabet and a topic that starts with that letter, and we try to dive into it a little bit more and talk about it, dissect it a little bit. And this week's letter is E. Sorry. Sarge. Hi. Hi. I'm here. <laughs> so this week's letter is E, and I have picked for us to talk about E.T., the extraterrestrial, the 1982 classic film. About aliens and family. <laughs> did they do really good together? I mean, aliens hmm. and family. They did for 1982. I mean... Well, I mean... Okay, I'm I, I, I you that. But then, on the same token, you could argue that, that, that the movie Aliens, or Alien 2, for some people out there, um, that's a family movie. You could. You could argue that. You could also argue that now that Disney owns Fox, that Alien is a Disney princess. <laughs> That's true. That 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 is true. Not 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 the not the monster, but Ellen Ripley. Well, no, I was talking about the Xenomorph, the Alien. Yeah, only if it's Aliens Five or Alien Resurrection. Oh, no, they're all. She's a <laughs> she's a Disney princess. Look at that. Two minutes in, and we're already off topic. This is wonderful. Yeah. All right. All right. So. So, so we're talking the E.T. movie with uh, Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, yes. Who else from a note is in there? Um, the only other main actor that I know is Henry Thomas. And I only know him. He's the boy, Elliot. And his. I think the only role I can ever recall him in is actually the... Uh, uh, not Hunting and Blight. Yeah, no. Was it Blight? I don't know. It was the 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 horror Netflix series that came out a while back it was really good i was mm. really impressed with it he did a really good job in it he uh it's definitely worth a watch and that was directed by mike flanagan no i'm talking about et oh steven spielberg steven spielberg yes which i'll get to this but it was actually uh intended as it was one of a few scripts that were intended as a sequel to um from the in first encounters close encounters close encounters right of the third kind right it was intended as that, but it got, you know, off course a little bit at one point. <laughs> but in 1982, okay, on a budget of 10.5 million. In 1982, that's a lot of money. Guess how much it made? Oh, take a just a it. Hundred million. <laughs> million dollars. Huh. Yeah, a little bit more. Yeah. That's a ridiculous return on investment, in my opinion. <laughs> so, well, I mean, the movie itself, mm. technologically speaking, the movie itself was a lot of puppetry. Yes, it was a lot. Like not as bad as the Dark Crystal puppetry or <laughs> the Labyrinth puppetry. It still had some puppetry in it, and I believe there was a thing where it's like people were complaining before the digitally remastered version that people know now. Yes. You could see, like, wires and stuff like that. And, you know, it's it's 1982. If you go back and you watch many movies from the 80s, you can actually pick out wires all over the place. Like, I know in um, the uh, in Christmas Vacation, where he is plowing down the hill on the sled that he has put the lubricant on, 
there's actually two places where you can see a wire pulling them. It's yeah. the 80s. They didn't have the, you know, the effects and whatnot. I mean, in, uh, uh, in, uh, Edward Scissorhands, the first time that she sees Edward's castle up on the hill, mm -hmm. that was actually, um, a small prop on an easel. <laughs> like, there's no digital effects in, in the 80s. Well, there, I don't want to say no, but there were very little. So, within Steven Spielberg creating it, he had been working closely with George Lucas. Star Wars, for those people who don't know. Right. I don't know who doesn't know that, but... Yeah. There's always one. There's always one. That's also assuming there's people who... <laughs> um, but... Uh, so, he had been working a lot with... Steven, or Steven Spielberg had been working a lot with uh, George Lucas on crafting the idea. A producer on E.T. was Kathleen Kennedy, who went on to produce every Star Wars-related film after Disney bought them up. <laughs> but not before. So, <clears throat> so the, uh, the idea actually for E.T. was started in 1960. Um where Spielberg actually, his parents were divorced, and he kind of filled the void with creating this whole friendly alien. Um, he described it as a friend who could be the brother he never had, and the father he didn't feel he had anymore. Divorce. Yeah. 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 So, uh, in 1978, he announced he would shoot a film entitled Growing Up. Which he, uh, which he would film in four weeks. The project was set aside because of delays in, on 1941. Not the best movie. But the concept of making a small autobiographical film about childhood would stay with him. He also thought about follow-up to Close Encounters of the Third Kind and began to develop a darker project he planned uh, with John Sayles called Night Skies in which malevolent aliens terrorize a family. So a little bit different <laughs> than what E.T. ended up being. So, All right, so I'm looking at the cast of E.T. right now. You know, we have these magical devices that allow us to access information anywhere. Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> magical devices. So Dee Wallace, actress in the 1982... Yes. E.T., who played Mary. Mm -hmm. I remember right, Mary was the mom. I believe so. I believe so. So, she has gone on to play since then. Since you said there's no one else of note, which I was like, no. Nobody that I recognize. Okay, Cujo, 1983. Yes. Which... The Howling, 1981. Yes. Critters, 1986. Great movie, if you've yeah. never seen it. Um, the the Kmart Gremlins. <laughs> the Kmart Gremlins. No, that was the Munchies. That was the Munchies was the Kmart Gremlins. I never saw that. I saw the Critters, but... Um, she also did, um, Lately Critters Attack in 2019. I mean, she's got them all over the place. That banging noise was my child, for those people who were curious. Ouija. Um, Death House. So she tended to stay in the thriller horror yes. genre. Yes. Uh, I mean, not to, not to derail. I was just yeah. looking at some of these people like, like, Peter Coyote looks familiar to me. Uh, he looked familiar to me, too, but I couldn't place him. Patch Adams. Well, no, I've seen Patch Adams, but I couldn't, I couldn't like, uh, place his face anywhere. The, uh, like, I recognized the face, but I didn't know what I recognized his face from. Fair enough. Yeah. So, 
So while filming Raiders of the Lost Ark in Tanzania, um, he uh, was far, far away from his friends and family and created a sense of loneliness. Memories of childhood creation started to resurface. This alien friend. Um, and he told screenwriter Melissa Matheson about Night Skies and developed subplot on the failed project. Night Skies never came to fruition, so she took a subplot and put a little bit more life into it. Um, and the alien at the time was called Buddy, the only friendly alien, befriends an autistic child. Now, autism actually hits a little more home to me these days. Yeah. So that that was of note to me. <clears throat> His abandonment on Earth and the script's final concept um, and the script's final scene inspired the E.T. concept. She wrote the first draft of E.T. and me in eight weeks, which he considered perfect. But then <laughs> the script went through two more drafts, which deleted an Eddie Haskell-esque character, which... I try to find where an Eddie Haskell type character would fit into it, where it's a movie from a kid's perspective, but the kid is always trying to look good to the parents, but causing mischief. But the parents really weren't a central part of E.T. In fact, I learned at one point that the first half of the movie is shot at a child's level <laughs> to, to make you identify more with E.T. or with, with Elliot and the other kids, which I thought was an interesting technique to, you know, place the camera low. I mean, low angles are have, have always been a thing in production, but I, I, I mean, I digress. I mean, right. But it's, it to me, it wasn't just a low angle. It was purposely filmed like that <laughs> for a extended duration of the uh, film. Can you imagine just poor camera operators? <laughs> I imagine they would have just had something down low <laughs> and looking down at a screen and, you know. <laughs> So, the script, the, the script went through uh, two more drafts, lead to Eddie Haskell-esque um, friend of Elliot. Uh, the chase scene was also created, and he suggested having the scene where E.T. got drunk. I do not know what E.T. would have been without the chase scene, where they're, you know, yeah. the cops are chasing him on the bike. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes up. Like, I don't know what that movie would have been without that. It was a very pivotal scene to the whole movie. Like, how would he have... Um, gotten to the point of E.T. and his friends floating through the air on bikes. I just wouldn't be in the movie. I mean, there was a lot of things in the movie that seems like it was added in last minute, but it was still a good movie. Like like the whole, you know, touch the finger, the the the, the, the glowing finger to the to to the to the saw blade wound, which yeah. by the way, that saw blade wound completely and I I digress. I mean it's just you know, it's like some of the stuff just seems a little haphazard in the movie, but it works. Right. It works. Right. So I give it that. Yeah. So I thought this bit was interesting. <clears throat> in early summer nineteen eighty one, while Raider the Lost Ark was being promoted, Columbia Pictures met with Spielberg to discuss the script. After having to develop Night Skies with the director as the intended sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <clears throat> However, the head of Columbia Pictures Marketing and Development, uh, Marvin, and I'm going to know I'm going to butcher his last name, Atanowski, concluded it had limited commercial potential, believing it would appeal to mostly young kids. The president of Columbia's worldwide productions, John Veach, 
also felt that the script was not good or scary enough to draw enough crowd. On the advice of the two gentlemen, who I'm not going to attempt their names again, Columbia Pictures CEO Frank Price passed on the project, thus putting it in a turnaround. So Spielberg approached the more receptive Sid Scheinberg, president of MCA, and the then parent company of Universal Studios. Spielberg told Scheinberg to acquire the E.T. script from Columbia Pictures, which he did for $1 million, which went into the production, yep. to, the, yeah, to the budget, and struck a deal uh, with Price in which Columbia would retain 5% of the film's net profits. Veach later recalled that, I think in 1982, we made more on that picture than we did any of our other films. Yeah. So, because they bought the rights for what I assume was less than a million dollars, and they worked out this 5% deal to retain any profits, they were able to still make a butt ton of money. Yeah. But Columbia, I mean, they're almost a phased out production company nowadays. Almost. And uh, I know that there was a whole thing with um, Universal no, no longer going into... Um, AMC theaters and whatnot, um, but I can't think of the last new movie I saw where you know the stars came in over the river and you know mm-hmm. circled around the mountain that said Columbia. So I mean, first off, we just can't say it was. We just can't say it was bad business decisions because that's not true. I mean, that's yeah. just, a lot of places have folded due to due due to the. <laughs> pandemic that's still going on year two gotten better but i think a lot of peace places are are, are realizing that we can have lower budgeted movies Mm -hmm. and do almost a straight to dvd release except they're not going straight to dvd they're going straight to a streaming service now right um back to back to back to et you know et's budget was how much 10 10 million okay so et's budget was 10 million the, Which really isn't a big budget for a big budget I mean, film. It was, it was back in, oh, yeah. in, in, the, in the 1980s. You know, I, I was reading up on a little bit of, like, production history throughout the years. And it's like some of the locations where um, movies have been filmed, like, did not know this, know this now. Uh... Marvel, some of the Marvel movie scenes, like uh, the Bruce Banner and uh, the Hulk, the original one with uh, Eric Bana. Yeah, that was a terrible movie. It wasn't bad. No, it was a terrible. It was better than it was better than the Edward Norton. I like the Edward Norton one. <laughs> no, no, that that Eric Bana one was terrible. No, terrible. No. You're talking to somebody who has read comics since they were eight years old and collected, and that was. A bright green Hulk, and then the whole comic book look of the, like the changing scenes and stuff. And no, it was it was it was it was good for what it was. And Nick Nolte should not be in movies anymore. No, he should not. Um, even if he does play a degenerate father janitor. Yeah. So that movie scene where the houses like where 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 the houses explode. Right, when the gamma bomb went off. <laughs> right? Which was another part of my problem with that movie. It doesn't matter. It's it's movie. Let's move past it. They're going to take some liberties. 
Um, that was redone footage that's been used in three other movies. Can you guess those movies? No, but I do know that uh, that was a Universal movie. Uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, because Universal owns the rights to the Hulk. I do know that Universal has recycled explosions on multiple occasions. This is not anything Universal ever filmed. Really? No, it's from the testing sites of Ground Zero in Nevada. Huh. Right? Yeah. That's been reused in three other movies. Okay. Both the Godzilla movies. The recent Godzilla movies. Okay. Seth. Yeah. The uh, but were they reused for those movies? I've seen those movies. I can't recall. They're not allowed to alter the imagery. Okay, but were they used as the that that's what the explosion was? Yes. Okay. Well, see, I can get a, I can I can get behind that. That's, so that's fine. not only that, but um, the area into which people lived and such in those neighborhoods, like Wisteria Lane, is on an abandoned uh, Wisteria Lane. Um, Desperate Housewives filmed in the exact same location as E.T. Yeah. In the housing complex of a closed and defunct military base. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, if you've watched any episodes of Mythbusters, it is the same military base Mythbusters uses. Um, I think it's really funny when you see the same cities, the same towns yep. and houses. Like, the... Uh... The big house that the witches dance in front of in, um, oh, what's the Halloween witch movie? Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. Is the same exact set in the intro to Friends. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay, so. Carlo Rambaldi. We're slaying names today, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, yes. Um, who designed Aliens for Close Encounters uh, was hired to design animatronics for E.T. Rambaldi's own painting, Women of Delta, led him to give the character a unique extendable neck, which actually, in my opinion, became a feature, like a main yeah. feature of him. Um, its face was inspired by those of Carl Sandburg, Albert Einstein, and Ernest Hemingway. Nice! Um, producer Kathleen Kennedy visited the Jules Stein Eye Institute to study real glass eyes. She hired Institute staffers to create E.T.'s eyes, which she felt were particularly important in engaging the audience. I agree. Well, yeah. uh, because they're like 90% of his face. Right. I mean, I, I can't agree. Those those eyes were a major draw to the E.T. character. Four heads were created for filming, as uh, one as the main animatronic and the others for facial expressions as well as a costume. A team of puppeteers patrolled E.T.'s face with animatronics, and I learned that they were always put off-screen so the only thing that you would see are those wires that you mentioned. It, it, I mean, they were hidden off screen, usually in closets and, and whatnot. So, I mean, in 1982, there's only going to be so much they can do yeah. to hide wires, even in in real life. Green screen technology was not around back then. No. Two little people. And I don't know if midgets is not is off the table these days. Um, Vertically challenged? Yeah, um, two people with height differentials. That are height negative. Right. We will say they are height negative. Yes. <laughs> and we've eliminated a whole other part of our audience. <laughs> um, Tamara DeTroux and Pat Billion, as well as an 8-year-old, or 12-year-old, Matthew Dearmont, um, who was born without legs and was an expert walking on his hands, um, took turns wearing the costume. Depending on what scene was being filmed, 
Dermot actually walked on his hands and played all scenes where he walked awkwardly or fell over. So they made this guy with no legs who walked on his hands dressed in a eight. costume. No, he's 12. 12. Sorry, I, said eight. I know. But they made him fall over. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in the movie. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, the head was placed above the, the actors and the actors could see through slits in his chest. Um, Caprice Roth, a professional mime, uh, filled prosthetics to play E.T.'s hands. So they got people with what are now, well, I mean, obviously the 12-year-old without legs had a disability, but people that are now considered <laughs> disabled. So there would have been a huge issue with an Hollywood in today's filming. I mean, from what I understand, they could put out a description of what they're looking for in a casting call, but they can't turn anybody away on a casting call. They just have to say things like, you're not right for this part. So I guess now they would say, you're too tall. Oh my tall God, he's perfect. <laughs> Look at him. He's so little and perfect. I mean, it's a, but, but then again, you have to remember, like, when Spielberg did Jurassic Park. Yeah. Right? That caught so much backlash in the opening scene of Jurassic Park. Because they're like, someone was like, why'd that guy have to get eaten? Why couldn't it be another guy that got eaten? Right. And I was like, it's some dude getting eaten! Right. But I have to appreciate that Steven Spielberg did not fall into the trope of the first guy that has to die in a movie is black. It is true. And uh, <clears throat> I, I appreciate that. But that's more in just horror movies in general. And, you know. Um, so Spielberg declared that the costume was only something that a mother could love. <laughs> <laughs> so... Mars Incorporated refused to allow M&Ms to be used in the film, believing E.T. would frighten children. The Hershey Company was asked if Reese's Pieces could be used, and it was agreed. The product placement resulted in a large increase in Reese's Pieces sales. That year, it was responsible for an 82% increase in Reese's Pieces sales. So, an 82% increase in diabetes. Right. But Adult onset diabetes later on mm -hmm. down the road. So I got a I got a math question for you. Ready? Gosh, no, no, no. Hang with me. Jimmy's got twelve candy bars. He's Sam, gonna have diabetes if he eats them all. Sam takes two. How many? What does Jimmy have left? Diabetes. <laughs> Spielberg felt confident in working with the cast, mostly comprised of child actors. For the role of Elliot, he auditioned hundreds of boys before um, Jack Fisk, who he worked with on a previous movie, suggested Henry Thomas for the role because Henry played the part of Harry in the film Raggedy Man. Never seen Raggedy. No. Never heard of it before this. Um, Thomas, who auditioned in an Indiana Jones costume, I guess he thought, his parents thought, hey, wear this, you'll get extra points. Um, did not perform well in the formal scene, <laughs> but got the filmmaker's attention in an improvised scene. Um, thoughts of his dead dog inspired convincing tears. Uh, Robert Manigan, I, I, butchering names. Yeah, we're slaying them today. I mean, if I was a ninja, there would be no names left. Huh. Auditioned eight times to play Michael. Spielberg felt Drew Barrymore had the right imagination for mischievous Gertie after she improvised him the story that she led a punk rock band. If my memory serves me, and I meant to look this up and have this on hand, uh, she was eight years old at the yes. time of the movie. That movie, guess what her next big break was? Never been kissed? I don't know. I know she was in quite a quite a bit of movies. Aerosmith music video. Drew Barrymore? Mm-hmm. Janie's got a gun. I know. Um, oh, what's-her-face was in it. Steven Tyler's 
Liv Tyler. Well, yeah, but it's in the later ones. I'm no, I thought she was in Jamie's Got a Gun, too. Huh? Huh. Totes Drew Barrymore. Huh. I... No, that's all my years of waking up early and watching Insomniac Music Theater yeah. on uh, on uh, MTV and then VH1. I love the 80s. and Yep. Yep. Which... Let's age myself just a wee bit more. Oh, no. I mean, I remember... I love the 80s, and I remember when, after, like, up, up, video. I think it was, I think it was, like, after, I want to say, um, 11 o'clock, VH1 would actually roll to playing nothing but music videos, yep. and I actually really enjoyed that time, because it would be, I'd come home from the bar, <laughs> stumble in and just watch three hours of music videos, waiting for my ears to stop ringing and the room to stop spinning, so, you know. The voice work for E.T. for the film uh, performed by Pat Walsh. She smoked two packs of cigarettes a day to give her voice a quality that sound effect uh, creator Ben Burt liked. She spent nine and a half hours recording her part. Nine and a half hours recording the sounds for E.T. Wait, there's more. He also recorded 16 other people and various animals to create E.T.'s voice. These included Spielberg, actors Deborah Winger, his sleeping wife who had a cold, a burp from his USC film professor, raccoons, otters, and horses. So this poor lady, Pat Walsh, smoked two packs of cigarettes and spent all that time in a booth recording sounds just to be mixed in with all these other people. She probably got paid really well for it. I'm sure she did. I mean... But you gotta think with all the you know it was only ten million dollars for all the things that were involved. So. Oh, I'm sure they get back in deals all the time. Well, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that other people had deals like a certain percentage of what a movie makes and whatnot. Like I know that Jack Nicholson had a deal with Batman. He got no salary, but he got a percentage of what was made off of it, and I believe it was his most profitable film role. No, I don't think so. What other film do you think Jack Nicholson made more money on? The Shining? Well, you gotta think. Jack Nicholson got 5% or whatever percentage of everything that came out. So every toy, every movie, mm-hmm. everything he got a cut of. So he got residuals for years off of that. Now he's just a crazy old coot. Yep. Like Gary Busey. Well, I mean, Gary Busey's on another level. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Doctors working at the USC Medical Center were recruited to play the ones who tried to save E.T. after the government agents take over Elliot's house. Spielberg felt that actors in the roles performing lines of technical medical dialogue would come across as unnatural. During post-production, he decided to cut a scene, and this is actually what I was going to get to before when we talked when you were asking who was in the movie. He decided to cut a scene featuring Harrison Ford the principal, as the principal of Elliot's school. It featured the character reprimanding Elliot for his behavior in biology class. I don't know if you remember about the frogs. Okay. Um, how long has it been since you watched CT? Years. Yeah. But I remember some of it. Yeah. Oh, I remember a lot yeah. of it. I don't think I've seen it in probably 15 Ow, yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and one of the dangers of underage drinking. Um, he is then taken aback as Elliot's chair rises from the floor while E.T. is levitating his quote-unquote phone equipment up the stairs from Gertie. Um, I don't know what the quote-unquote phone. It's when he made the. It's 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 when he took like the speak and say thing. Yeah. And he put the saw blade on it, and he was yeah. like, "You you, you calling home?" Yeah. That was his phone. 
Right, but I don't remember levitating. Just because it was cut. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it was cut, so I don't know the phone, but I guess the phone was the yeah. speaking spell. And yeah, so, and Ford's face is never seen in this cut. So I don't know what or why it was actually really cut. Mm, probably so. Ford wanted too much. I don't know. He uh, he had just come off of the Star Wars fame at this point, you know, so maybe he did, you know. Maybe he just didn't want it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, principal photography began in neighborhoods in Los Angeles County in the San Fernando Valley, September 1981. Um, the project was filmed under the cover of Boy's Life, which actually was a movie some number of years later. Hmm. As Spielberg did not want anyone to discover and plagiar plagiarize the plot. We're getting to that more. Uh, the actors had to read script behind closed doors and everyone on set had to wear an ID card. The shoot began uh, with two days in Culver City High School and the crew spent the next 11 days moving between locations. Uh, the next 42 days were spent at Laird Entertainer International Studios in Culver City for the interiors of Elliot's house. So all the exteriors were filmed West Area Lane. Yeah. They moved to the studio. Um, the exterior Halloween scene and flying bicycle chase scenes were filmed in Porter Ranch. I don't know where Porter Ranch is, and a Google search gave me about 40 Porter Ranches. Well, it's got to be in Cali. Got to be, you would think. So Spielberg shot the film roughly chronological order to achieve convincingly emotional performances from his cast. A film being shot in chronological order is pretty rare these days. Um, it was also done to help the child actors with the workload. Spielberg calculated the film would hit home harder. Found it. Oh, you found it. I don't know how you found it so quickly. I it mine came up with a lot of. I typed in Porter Ranch, Ranch California. Fair enough. All right. So anyway, um, for the first time. In his career, he did not allow storyboard for most of the film in order to facilitate spontaneity um, in the performances. <coughs> the film was also shot... Um, so, uh, the film was shot from waist high. Um, and so, this adults are never seen from the waist up for the first half of the film. Yeah! So, um, we got a few minutes left. And there's two things I want to hit on. Okay. So, talked about, you know, I mentioned he didn't want anybody plagiarizing the film. Yep. Allegations of plagiarism. All right. <laughs> there were allegations that the film was plagiarized from a 1967 script, The Alien, by a, by Indian Bengali director. I'm not even going to attempt that. He stated E.T. would not have been possible without any of the script of The Alien being available throughout the United States in mimeographed copies. Now, at the time that scripts were floating around... the 1960s? Um, 1967 script, The Alien. So at the time that the, um, the uh, script was being circulated, Spielberg was in <laughs> middle school. And then graduated high school, and then went on to create... E.T. as his, I believe it was his third film, third major film. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and then, uh, you know, he was um, advised to take legal action, and he decided not to because Spielberg was such a great filmmaker, and, you know, 
he uh, didn't want to get involved in that. So, but then also in 1984, um, federal court ruled against playwright Lisa Letchfield, who sued Spielberg for $750 million for claiming that he used her one-act musical play, Loki from Maldemar, as the basis for E.T. She lost the case, with the court saying no reasonable jury would conclude that Loki and E.T. were substantially similar in their ideas and expression. I don't understand how anybody in their right mind could think that a one-act musical play would have influenced E.T. in any way whatsoever. Well, I'm reading the I'm reading the plot to the 1967 The Alien. I'm reading the plot. The plot is a spaceship that lands in a pond in rural Bengal, which is in India. South Asia. The villagers begin worshipping it as a temple risen from the depths of the ocean. The alien, known as Mr. Aang, establishes contact with a young village boy named Haba, meaning dumb in Bengali. <laughs> Great. You named your main character <laughs> dumb. dumb. Right. Okay. Through dreams and also plays a number of pranks on the village community as it's in its course of a short stay on planet Earth. The plot contains that in, in the presence of an Indian businessman, a journalist from Calcutta, and an American engineer. So they piss poor sold this so bad because they wanted apparently wanted Marlon Brando to play in it in, in this movie. Brando? Yeah. Brando. Yeah. Okay, come on. <laughs> and I may have said it wrong. Yeah. Spit happens. Mm. <clears throat> that they couldn't get leads into it because the guy was so disillusioned that he just up and left and went back to Calcutta. Marlon Brando. No, oh. the the guy that wanted it made. Oh, okay. And then he comes back and tries to sue E.T. in the 1980s. And of course, mm. he couldn't because his idea for a film was already copyrighted by somebody else back in the earlier 60s. Yeah. Right. Right. So there's a theory that I came across that actually, I think, holds some water. So, in E.T., Elliot's playing with Star Wars figures. E.T. recognizes a kid during the Halloween scene dressed as Yoda. E.T. makes the bikes float. No. You're, it, it's got holes. No. Hear me out. Hear me out. In Episode 1, The Phantom Menace... Star Wars, oh god which in in one of the scenes that that floods the movie with intergalactic trade law um which brought that entire movie down in a major way in the background in one of the pods you actually see et characters now george lucas and steven spielberg were working very closely steven spielberg and george lucas were working very closely and so they were bouncing ideas off of each other and Spielberg actually confirmed recently that E.T. was a Jedi. Lord Jesus. So, on that, <laughs> we are going to close. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank for... you. And for the letter E, that is enough. Yes, most <laughs> certainly. The next episode, if you can't figure out how this is working already, it's going to be the letter F. Yeah. All right. And boy, howdy. <laughs> it going to be interesting. That I can assure you. So, until next time, bye. Bye.